is a necessity of a changed walk. Now that they have been saved by God's mercy, God's love, God's grace. So uh, how you got saved was in the first three chapters. Now, how do you live having been saved in chapters 4 to 6? I'm going to read verses 1 to 14 to start with. And in doing that, I'm going to suggest to you that all 14 verses revolve around two statements or two admonitions, two encouragements, two commands, everything. And both of those admonitions start with the word therefore. They're not the only two therefores in those 14 verses, but those 14 verses all revolve around two therefore statements. The first therefore is in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. The second therefore, I don't have it right in front of me, think it's around verse 8, it's, or maybe it's 7, one of those, therefore do not become partners with them. And those 14 verses are explaining what does it mean to be an imitator of God? And those 14 verses are explaining what does it mean by not being a partner with them? And then who are the them? And those, those two statements go together because you can't be an imitator of God if you're a partner with them. And if you're a partner with them, don't kid yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Of this you can be sure. You're no imitator of God. They're two sides of the same coin. They go together. You can't have one without the other. This isn't new to Paul. This is what Jesus taught. Jesus said, you know, you can either love and fear and serve God or you can love the world. And friendship with the world makes yourself an enemy of God is what James said in his letter. It's all over the Bible, this great dichotomy, this sharp distinction. To be an imitator of God means you're not a partner with them. This is what Paul said also in chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. He keeps repeating the same theme over and over. It's, it's not unlike Galatians, where we did Galatians way back in the day. And Galatians, like I think no other letter Paul wrote, Paul keeps saying the same thing over and over and over. Because I think we, the church, I think Christians need to hear it over and over and over. You are saved by faith alone. Over and over in Galatians. By the time we were done with Galatians, if, if people didn't walk away knowing that, they just weren't listening. Because that's the resounding message. After I read these verses, we're going to answer two questions. Number one, why should Christians imitate God? So not how should we do it. Our focus is going to be on why should we do it? Why should we imitate God? And the second question, why should Christians not become partners with them? Not what does it look like, but why should we not? What is the motivation behind both those questions? So as I read these verses, kind of be on the lookout for how those questions might be answered. In the English Standard Version, it reads like this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Shh, be quiet. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral 
or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Those are our verses. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to be done with them, though I'm not going to cover them in the same amount of detail that we're used to hearing. So hopefully there'll be time at the end and questions. If you want to specifically direct a question or a comment to something I'm not dealing with in depth, I think I'm prepared to deal with it, even if I don't know the answer. <laughs> We've got two statements. Be imitators of God and do not become partners with them. Why should Christians imitate God? I will tell you, I think, in those verses, there are two reasons why he gives that Christians should imitate God. Reason number one is because Christians are God's beloved children. I mean, a father, he's your father. As his child, you've been born again. You've been born from anew. You've been born of perishable seed. You've been born by God's word of truth. For all those reasons, as he is your father, he is light. And in him, there's no darkness or shadow of turning. For that reason, we should imitate God. We're his beloved children, like father, like child. That's reason number one. Reason number... Oh, I forgot to tell you. Uh, if you were at another church in Mount Zion on Sunday morning, uh, their sermon title this morning is Heaven or Earth. And then underneath that, they've got the statement, You are a child of God. And I want you... Are, is that a true statement? I mean, if by that statement, the church means we are all exist because God is our creator, that's a true statement. But does the Bible teach we are all children of God? Well, if you have a New International Version, uh, it reads this way. In Galatians, you are all children of God. That seems pretty simple. Uh, the English Standard, I think, says you're all sons of God. Not a significant difference. But let's go with the NIV since I, I want to pick up on that word child. Galatians says you're all the children of God. And based upon that... Some people come away with the idea that it's a true statement. We're all God's children. And I've seen ministries. I get ministry, I've, oh, not often, but over the years, I'll get a ministry letter where the byline for the ministry is, we are all children of God. And it quotes, it's Galatians 3.26. Sometimes in sermons, it's preached. Look, Galatians says we're all children of God. We're all children of God. Turn to Galatians. Chapter 3. You're in Ephesians. The book right before Ephesians is Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. So just a couple pages in whatever Bible you're using. 
And it looks like a new paragraph in Galatians 3 begins in verse 23. So I'm going to read Galatians 3.23. We'll get a little bit of a context for this excerpt, You Are All Children of God. Galatians 3.23 reads, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then... The law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So, taken as a whole, it's very limited as to who is a child of God, who is a son of God. It's in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, or children of God, through faith. Um, it seems misguided would be, I guess, the nice way to say, to, to give the idea or the impression that we're all children of God just on the basis of our existence is an insult to who Christ is and what he did on a cross. We are children of God through Christ by faith. And it's very explicit. So, Reason number one, uh, we should imitate God because we're God's beloved children. Reason number two, we should imitate God because now you are light in the Lord. You're no longer darkness. You are light. God is light. God is Father. You are His child. You are light. That's why we should imitate God. Let's move on to the second question. First one went pretty quick. Why should Christians not become partners with them? First question is who is the them? Believe it or not, uh, some commentators have a different, different opinions as to who the them refers to. I think in this context, the them, very explicitly, refers to the sexually immoral. It's based upon all the verses we just read. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, foolish talking, crude joking, for everyone sexually immoral, impure, or covetous has no inheritance. So the, the answer, who should we not become partners with in this context, has to do with sexual sin. Now, in the larger context of Scripture, I think you could broaden that out and say it has to do with any unrepentant sin. Galatians, the context is bigger. And there's a lot of other sins mentioned. But in this context, to pick out this whole area of sexual purity and a sexual ethic that is honoring to God is appropriate because that's the context. And sometimes that's what the church needs to preach on. Uh, a sexual ethic that is not in step with the world. It doesn't matter how common it is out there. God's people are not to be partners with them that have compromised that either by the way they talk or their casual attitude or their actions. We ought to live differently. So that answers the question, them. Why should Christians not become partners with them? Because they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Why? That's, for, that's right out of the text. That's why you shouldn't. They have no inheritance. They don't belong to the kingdom of Christ and God. By contrast, Christians very much do have an inheritance. You better, if you're a Christian, you have an inheritance. Colossians condenses that into just three verses. I'm going to show you those verses. It's a couple letters after Ephesians. Colossians reads this way. 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's all, this is, that's, that's Ephesians condensed to three verses. The reason why I'm part of a kingdom that's not mar- marked by darkness, the reason why I'm in the kingdom of God's beloved son is because he qualified me to share in that and he delivered me. That's why. It's what God has done, not what I've done. Not what the church has done. Uh, not what any man has done. It's what God has done in Christ. And because of that, I belong to a different kingdom, and I have an inheritance. So if I take it back, why should Christians not become partners with them? They belong to that kingdom. And they have no inheritance. I do. And so my life should be dramatically different from theirs. Oh, I forgot. Ephesians chapter 1. Boy, for time's sake, I'm not going to read that. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 19, he uses the word inheritance at least three times where he keeps telling the saints, you have an inheritance. And it's guaranteed by God in his spirit. You're sealed. You have an inheritance. You can't lose this inheritance. You can live like a, a pauper. You can live as if you're not enjoying the benefits of the inheritance. But if you belong to God through Christ by faith, You have an inheritance. You belong to a different kingdom. And that's why Paul says, now live like it. Don't live as if you don't belong to his kingdom. Now let's keep going because I'm going to run out of time. Why should Christians not become partners with them? Secondly, because they abide under the wrath of God. And your beloved children in Christ. Beloved children do not abide under the wrath of God. I will never face in Christ... The wrath of God. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. It doesn't mean that I won't face his discipline and his chastisement, whether negatively to to, uh, correct misbehavior or positively to instill positive behavior. It may hurt, but it's motivated by love, not wrath. God's dealing with his children is always motivated by love. They conversely, are under the wrath of God. Third reason why Christians should not become partners with them because they are sons of disobedience. He said earlier in Ephesians, they are by nature children of wrath. Sons of disobedience, by nature children of wrath, they abide under the wrath of God. Therefore, don't be partakers of them. Why would you want to experience God's wrath? Why would you want to identify with children whom you are no longer that person? You've been saved out of that. Last reason why Christians should not become partners with them. Because they are darkness. And you are light in the Lord. Always in the Lord. Darkness all by yourself. But you are light in the Lord. So if I put all these reasons together, I've got, I should imitate God because I'm his beloved child. I now am in the light of the Lord. I should not become partners with them because they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. They are under the wrath of God. They are sons of disobedience and they are darkness. And then he, he ends with this, therefore it says. He wants you to do two things. Imitate God, don't become partners. Therefore, for all these reasons I've just given, 
Paul would say, for all the reasons I just have explained to you why that should happen, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awaken yourself to what God says necessarily must be true if you are his beloved child through faith in Christ. What is Paul quoting when he says, therefore it says? Because there is no... There's no reference in in all of Scripture that says, oh, he's quoting that passage. It's just not there. The overwhelming number of commentators are saying what Paul is doing based on Scripture, but not quoting Scripture, he probably is quoting a song or a creedal statement or a baptismal confession that, that new converts made when they were baptized. And it's the idea that now you've confessed Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you're getting baptized, and they would have sung or said or recited, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's the call to Christians. It's not what makes you a Christian, but because you're a Christian, you are to awaken to this new way of living, to walk in newness of life, is what we say at a baptism. We say you're buried in the likeness of Christ's death and raised to walk in newness of life. Wake up to it. Recognize it for what it is. It's an earnest appeal similar to the same appeal Paul made in chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Again, I'm, I mean, I, uh, cross-reference it, but the, the essence of it is in chapter 4 and verse... Tw- well, I am going to read it. Go to chapter 4. Look at verse 17. Paul's making the same sort of an appeal, the same exclamation, the same trying to get your attention, and for the same reasons. Chapter 4, verse 17 reads, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And then here's the call, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard him. And then it goes on. Paul says to Christians, he says to the church, that's not the way you learned Christ. Don't identify with darkness. Don't identify with secular culture. Don't identify with people that don't know God as Lord and Savior through faith in Christ. Live differently. Awake. Rise from the dead. Live differently. If I were to apply this, there's so many different ways to apply this. Donald Gray Barnhouse was pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in uh, Philadelphia. A very historic church. The most beautiful Protestant building I've ever been in. Uh, is 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. After Donald Gray Barnhouse passed away in 1965, he was followed by James Montgomery Boyce, who was a, another terrific individual, uh, who was followed by Philip Riken. Uh, it's got a long history, uh, a long tradition of preaching the truth of the gospel. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse was known as a a, a really master illustrator, especially in his day. He had a radio program which was new for Protestants. I think it was called the Bible Study Hour. I could be wrong about that. 
But Donald Gray Barnhouse and the way he tries to understand this awakening and, and you are light and you were darkness is the idea that when Christ came into the world, he was the light of the world. So liken him to the sun, except better, because it's not, it's not just this physical entity that was created. Christ is the light of the world. But Christ lived a perfect life. He died, he was resurrected, and he ascended to the Father. And the church is called to reflect that light, like the moon. The moon does not itself possess light, but it reflects the light of the sun. And he, the way he explained it is sometimes the church, and this could be the church as a whole, collectively through church history, or it could be an individual church. Either one applies. You could even apply it to yourself on some level. But sometimes the church is like a full moon and it reflects the light well. And sometimes it's waxing. Sometimes it's waning. Sometimes it's just a little crescent moon. The light's not shining very brightly. It doesn't mean that the light of the sun is any less than what it ever was. But sometimes the moon isn't doing a really good job capturing and reflecting all of that light. Donald Gray Barnhouse, well actually it was somebody after Donald Gray Barnhouse that took the illustration and then applied it in, in other individual ways that when Paul says awake, O sleeper, we all, we all have the, an understanding of what it means to, you've read your, I've read my Bible and there's times I can, if I'm doing my Bible reading in the morning, I can read the chapter and if especially if I'm in any kind of a hurry or if I don't have my colored pencils, I can read the chapter and I have no idea what I just read. I mean, the words on the page technically were read, but there was no uh, comprehension. Or some, I mean, even more common for me, especially on a Sunday morning, is I sing songs without comprehension. I'm sleeping. Uh, for me, my worship service actually comes as I prepare. Because when I'm, when I'm actually in charge, I'm so, I'm so uh, trying to make sure I'm doing all the things I need to do and hitting the button when I need to hit the button and, and do, work through that process. It's, I'm kind of sleeping as to the real significance of those words and the impact of those words. And sometimes I can be in a church service where I'm not in charge at all, and it's a familiar song, and I can sing the words, and I have no idea what I'm really singing or asking God to do in my life. And Paul would say, when you read Scripture like that, and when you sing like that, and when you pray the rote prayer that you've prayed a thousand times and it really isn't registering, wake up and recognize who it is you're singing to. And reading about and praying to. Make it more meaningful than what it, than what it often is. Wake up. What is Paul forbidding when he says do not become partners with them? I want to go through this pretty quickly. But this is, uh, I think it's resoundingly true. And it's resoundingly illustrated in scripture. Paul, number one, is not forbidding all contact or interaction with unbelievers. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 makes that very clear. Uh, Paul recognizes we are with unbelievers, and we may be with unbelievers a lot. That's a, that, that's a fact of life. It's meant to be. Jesus said, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He wants us here. 
If God wanted to save us and immediately transport us to the kingdom of heaven, he could do that. That's not his intention. It's not good for us, and it's not good for the people who still need to hear the gospel. So he makes it very clear. He's not forbidding all interaction when he says don't become partners with them. The word in the Greek, it looks like that. It means partners with, partakers with, shares with. He's used the same pretext, this sin, S-Y-N, like synthesis, together with. He's used that same word in chapter 2 that is worth looking at. So turn back a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 2. And it makes perfect sense when you put this together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, reads, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with, alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together with Him. And seated us together with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've been uh, made alive, raised up, you're seated all together with Him. So don't become partners with them. People that have been made alive, raised up together with, seated in the heavenlies with Him, should not be partners with those that have... uh, are living in active rebellion against God. It just shouldn't be. Paul is forbidding alliance, partnership, familiarity, and participation. A good illustration of of that would be Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to read rapidly from Genesis chapter 19. The angel said to Lot, Do you have anyone here, anyone else here, a son-in-law, your sons, daughters, anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of this place. For we, about, we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry against its people is so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, Lot said. Get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. At daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, Get up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. The Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, in the hands of his two daughters. They brought him out and left him outside the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, got them outside, One of them said, run for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere on the plane. I mean, the urgency in Sodom and Gomorrah, it couldn't couldn't be more heightened. Get out. Paul is saying, wake up. Don't think you can be friends with the world. Don't think you can keep in step with our culture and be in step with Christ. It doesn't work like that. Wake up. It's not just Sodom and Gomorrah. Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16. Korah was somebody who opposed Moses and Aaron. It reads a little bit like this. I'm jumping into the story. Moses says, well, 
The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this community so that I may consume them instantly. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and said, God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you vent your wrath on the whole community? The Lord replied to Moses, tell the community, get away from the dwellings of Korah, Dothan, and Abraham. Moses got up and went to Dotham and Abraham, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he warned the community, get away now from the tents of those wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them. Get out. It's not just the Korah's rebellion. Judgment against Babylon, both in Jeremiah and in Revelation. The message is, get out of Babylon. Revelation says, Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or, res- or receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. The wrath of God abides on Babylon. The wrath of God abides on the sons of disobedience. And God says, wake up, get out. And too many Christians, and sometimes it's me, I think I can be Lot and I think I can park my tent right next to Sodom and not be affected. And God's saying, wake up, get out. Don't see how close you can get to Sodom. Get as far away as possible from Sodom. One last reference in regard to the world. This is what uh, Paul is actually quoting from the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with the devil, Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. And be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The message from Genesis to Revelation is if you belong to God, get out of Babylon. Get out of where God's judgment is going to fall. Live like you belong to a kingdom of light and you have an inheritance because you do. Put it all together, it looks like that. What are your comments and questions? Cindy. It's a partnership and it's an affiliation with. It's a, I mean, so much has been written on that. He also says in Ephesians, discerning what the, discern what is the Lord of the, what is the Lord's will for you. In other words, there's a certain amount of nuance there. It's going to be a little bit complicated there uh, as to what exactly that looks like in your set of circumstances and situation. But uh, it's an idea of partnership joining in together with, just like you've been made alive with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, don't participate with their deeds and with their jokes 
and with their entertainment. Don't let that be integrated into your life. I think it's the idea of witness. Carrie, did you have something? Right. But it's a learning process. Right. So, like, you can't be in obedience on how to be in That's exactly right. And that's one reason why we gather together as a church, to remind ourselves of what that may look like and to be challenged that way. That's why we spend time in God's Word. All those reasons to what does it mean to walk in step as a child of light, as a, child, as a beloved child of God. What does that look like? And it's a refining process. It's a refining process. But I shouldn't excuse my sin and say, look, that's just the way I am. I mean, my, my parents were that way, so it's no surprise I'm that way. You know what? My parent, my father is God. He should have a greater impact on what I look like than my earthly father or my earthly mother or my social environment and circumstances. If I belong to God, he should be the one that stamps my life with, with looking like his son. Because that's what he's already said he would do. So we can't celebrate Christ's forgiveness on Sunday and then partake in the sin that he died for throughout the week. Yes. That's a, that's a great way to illustrate it. I, in addition to that, I think it's also, when he says in verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them, goes with verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So what does it mean to be a partner with them? It's being a partner in the unfruitful works of darkness. We do have to be around unbelievers, but don't partake of their unfruitful works. Anybody else? And that's a great illustration. That's very shaming, right? That, that I can partake of the Lord's Supper... And then at different times in my life, I'm so quick to partake of what I have no business partaking of. And that's when Paul's saying, wake up, don't be... Um, boy, it's late. So I, I got to close. Um, the other song I would have done, I would have had you listen to, is uh, my favorite Christian singer of all time, Keith Green, sings a song. He sang it in 1978. He died in 1982. He was 28 years old when he died. One of his songs is called Asleep in the Light. So it came out, out of an album that was called No Compromise because Keith Green lived, he lived a, largely a life without compromise. He was kind of offensive in some ways. Uh, he was kind of brash. He was only 28. But that man was on fire. He, he believed Christ had changed him now and forevermore. And so it's reflected in everything that he said. Sometimes he wasn't as gracious as he might have been. But he calls the church in this song, the church is asleep in the light. The church is asleep in the light. That we don't even care that there are people that are abiding under the wrath of God because we have signs on our church that says we're all God's children. No. I mean, that's why we have a gospel. We are called to something, to be convicted by something, and to care that people need that gospel. And by the will of God, we will. Let's pray.